Before we start this week's show, just a quick reminder on our Buy Me A Coffee memberships. As you may already know, the Brazilian Report is funded by subscriptions and support from loyal readers. Besides subscribing to our website and getting exclusive daily content on Brazil and Latin America, you can also treat our staff to one to five cups of coffee a month. In return, you get exclusive benefits like special newsletters, behind-the-scenes content, as well as a shout-out here on our podcast. Today, I want to thank our Buy Me A Coffee members, Felipe Saito, José Rosi Stankovic, Gabriela Graf Innes, Emerging Market Muser, Jordan Iftar, Tonica Thompson, Anderson da Silva, Kat Kramer, Fra, Peter Suffering, Anna Lund, and someone who chose to remain anonymous. If you are just like them and believe in the importance of independent journalism, and if you want to hear your name on our podcast, just head over to buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report and subscribe to one of the membership tiers. But if you cannot make a monthly committed, that's okay, you can still tip us a cup of coffee every now and then, that will give us the energy we need to cover a country as complex as Brazil and a region as complex as Latin America, and we deeply appreciate any support you can give us. Just click on buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report to find out more. Presidential debates are among the key campaigning rituals that have withstood the test of time. Last Sunday, Brazil saw six candidates take the stage for the first debate of the 2022 election cycle, just over a month before Brazilians hit the polls. All eyes were naturally on the two front runners, former President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva and the incumbent Jair Bolsonaro. O eleitor tem a oportunidade inédita de ver lado a lado, ouvir e comparar os concorrentes ao Palácio do Planalto. Not only because they are the only ones with a realistic shot at winning it all, but also because they have become the faces of political polarization in Brazil. The level of animosity is such that both requested the debate's organizers to change the candidates' positioning, which was decided by draw and had put Lula and Bolsonaro side by side. Instead, centrist candidate Simone Tebet acted as a buffer between the two. The much-anticipated confrontation ended up being underwhelming. But besides that, have we really learned anything from Sunday's debate? Do debates still provide voters with the chance to see the quote-unquote real candidates behind the scripted soundbites and commercials, or are they just a formality made for political wonks that does very little to change the political needle? That's what we will discuss this week. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, I'm the editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report, this is Explaining Brazil.
Before we get into the first presidential debates of this year's election, I should tell you that we at the Brazilian Report have recently launched a special 2022 election report with everything we need to know about the races for Congress, governorships, and of course, the presidency. And listeners of our podcast get a 20% special discount. Just go to brazilian.report slash subscribe, scroll down to the report section, and use the explaining 2022 promo code. One more time, go to brazilian.report slash subscribe, scroll down to the report section and use the explaining 2022 promo code. Now let's get into the debate and for that I welcome Beatriz Hay who is a political scientist and a columnist for the Brazilian Report. Beatriz, you posted on Twitter that you were really excited to watch a presidential debate after four years. Why? Yeah, so I got a lot of pushback because of that. I think people thought I was crazy because I was saying that. Um, I think because the 2018 presidential election was so abnormal um, because of everything that happened, Bolsonaro being stabbed, and after that, everything changed. Uh, it feels like, in a way, we're going back to normal even though we're not really, because we still have a candidate that threatens democracy and all of that that I've been discussing with the Brazilian report for months now. But in a way, it was just to me, like watching a presidential debate, it's like, okay, I'm going back to some level of normality in terms of we're watching the candidates discuss, they didn't even discuss policy that much, but they're there and they're putting their faces up. We're, we're having a conversation about uh, what the country was going to look like. And I think that to me was important uh, after 2018 and all the craziness of the last four years. In the lead up to the debate, there was a lot of uncertainty about whether the two front runners would show up. Both were very coy about it and kind of conditioned their presence to the other one showing up. In the end, we got both Lula and Bolsonaro on the same debate stage. How did they fare, in your opinion? I think both of them did not go very well. Um, I think uh, Bolsonaro was not able to control his hatred against women. Uh, that came out very strongly against uh, journalist Vera Magalhães, and I think that hurt him. Uh, Lula, to me, after the interview he gave to uh, Jornal Nacional, he seemed a little lost in terms of, because he, he did very well in that interview. Um, but we also know that Lula doesn't have a history of scoring uh, well in debates. Um, so I, I kind of wasn't surprised by Lula's Lula sounded kind of defensive, and he avoided taking the opportunity to deliver some blows to Bolsonaro, especially when the president kicked off the debate with a question about corruption. Oh, Prete Lula, se eu quero voltar o poder para quê? Para continuar fazendo a mesma coisa na Petrobras? Não teve nenhum presidente da República que fez mais investigação para que a gente apurasse a corrupção. I mean, we have to remember that Bolsonaro reduced state transparency, his sons are involved in money laundering investigations, there is the secret budget that has shaped the government relationship with Congress. I mean, there is a lot to choose from and deflect from the Workers' Party's extensive rap sheet. Why didn't he do that? 
I, I don't know. I think that was a deliberate choice, and I really don't understand why. At that moment, he should have talked about the secret budget, for instance, um, and that that. And I have written uh, about this for the Brazilian report. That to me is much worse than um, than Main Salon or the Petrobras scandal. Uh, he could have talked about uh, Hashajinhas. He could have. Nobody mentioned the name Kados. Uh, which to me is very surprising because to me that 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 entire that moment when the Kiraz uh, scandal um, appears is the moment in which Bolsonaro changes his relationship with Congress and w in which the secret budget uh, is created. Um, so I don't know. I think that was a mistake. I think he should have like Bolsonaro. I, I saw somebody on Twitter saying that Bolsonaro was uh, as comfortable as he could have been in uh, Luciana Gimini's uh, TV show. I, I disagree with that. I don't think he was that comfortable, but he could have been pressured a lot more than he was. And, and Lula should have been the one to do this. But I also feel like that there is this um, there is this evaluation inside the PT campaign that he shouldn't be pushing Bolsonaro's buttons to not go to the same level, if that makes sense. And I, I kind of feel like that that task has been uh, outsourced to Andrea Janonis. Uh, was, by the way, fighting uh, against the former minister of Bolsonaro government in the audience. So I think there was this deliberate choice. That, and I, I think to a certain extent, I agree with it, but not not facing Bolsonaro's corruption scandal and not putting him uh, and not putting it out there in front of him. That was a mistake for me. What about Bolsonaro? Many people like to say that Bolsonaro is all about the mayhem, all about freestyling. But he seemed to follow a messaging playbook, didn't he? I don't. I don't see Bolsonaro comfortable talking in any moment. Um, he uh, he's not good at it, right? And he doesn't. And I think uh, I, I don't know if I tweeted that during the debate or before, but um, he just he, he's not a good speaker. He's not a good orator. Um, and part of that is just that there is no filter there. Uh, we saw that with uh, with the moment when he spoke to again with journalists of Beto Magalhães. That was uh, just an, a moment of pure machismo and without any filter whatsoever. He doesn't. He really doesn't behave like an, uh, a seasoned politician to me. Uh, I think that's what I mean. So yeah, he looks uncomfortable. It's not like his natural uh, habitat. Uh, I think his natural habitat is that moment when he, in Brasilia, talks to his supporters uh, in front of the Cercadinho, uh, because he's only talking to people who agree with him. That's that's what he know, he knows. Like that, there you can see him comfortable because he knows that nobody's going to uh, challenge him when he's in a situation that he can be challenged. I don't think he looks comfortable. Um, this is this is a president that only surrounds him by people who. Um, are loyal to him, right? Um, so he's gonna he's gonna feel uncomfortable in any situation that is not that. I mean, at one point, Bolsonaro attacked a female journalist and the two female candidates on stage without being provoked by any of them. Vera, não podia esperar outra coisa de você. Você, você dorme pensando em mim. Você tem alguma paixão por mim? Você não pode tomar partido num debate como esse, fazer acusações mentirosas a meu respeito. Você é uma vergonha para o jornalismo brasileiro. And he made an expression that almost seemed like a whoops moment. Am I reading too much into it? Was that part of the plan, in your opinion? Or was just Bolsonaro slipping into his true self without noticing? 
I think sometimes, like, I have the sense that even his his mouth is quicker than, than you know what I mean? Like, he's, I don't even think he, he measured his own words at that point. Because um, just think about this for a second. This is a candidate who is trying, who is trying to strengthen his stance with female voters. He goes on a national uh, debate and offend two women, like one after the other. It makes no sense. Candidato Bolsonaro, por que tanta raiva das mulheres? It, like, rationally, it makes no sense. But if it's the profile, the, 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 Bolsonaro is not somebody who is driven by rationality. I think he has no measure of rationality most of the time. He just, he speaks with his gut and he, he's proud of that. Um, but sometimes I think, like, and especially during a presidential campaign in which he's trying to gain the support of female voters, maybe at that moment he realized, oops, maybe I have gone too far. Uh, given that um, I need the vote of women and I just defended two of them. Now, focus groups and social media reactions singled out two quote-unquote winners of Sunday's debate, Senator Simone Tebet and former cabinet minister Ciro Gomes. I mean, both combined for less than 10% of voting intentions. What did they do that was so successful? Also, isn't that the tale of every debate? I mean, a crowded stage leads the front runners to play defense, while these sort of wild cards are throwing darts all over the place. Essa é a questão tendo prometido que ia combater a corrupção do PT e do Lula. Mas eu gostaria só de dizer que a corrupção não começou nesse governo. A corrupção é fruto de governos passados e a corrupção mata. I think Simone Tebet um she was able to stand up against Bolsonaro, uh, articulate policy ideas, uh, which was something that not all of them could do. I think almost no one, maybe only her, um, and do that in a way that provoked, uh, she, she connected to voters, I think. She was, uh, she was confident, she was speaking clearly, and uh, she she said that several times that she wasn't intimidated by Bolsonaro or by his ministers. And I thought that was a very that, that was very good uh, because she she's a woman. Right. And I think it's important for her to to be clear that she's there and she she's competent and she knows what she's doing. And it's just not going to be intimidated uh, by Bolsonaro or, or his tap or any anybody like that. Um, so I think she she handled and she she handled the questions very well as well. Sita uh, was surprisingly well, but I think like because this is also somebody who speaks with his gut, uh, and I was expecting him to be uh, less um, to not have a filter, I guess, like Bolsonaro, but he did have one, and uh, to the extent that um, he he has this background, this past, he behaved uh, extremely well. Uh, so I think my evaluation of Sita is more related to past Sierra, his past performance, whereas Simone really came strong as, as a strong candidate, as a coherent candidate, as somebody who's, uh, he seemed, she seemed, she, she, she was able to show people that she's competent. Uh, I think that was very important. We're going to start to see some polls this week, which will kind of reflect the effects of the debate into voters' opinions or lack thereof. Do you think we should expect any numerical changes to the polls? Because so far, the only event to have had a significant effect on the polls 
was when former Justice Minister Sergio Moro dropped out of the race back in April, when his voters mostly migrated towards Bolsonaro. But other than that, the polling curves have been quite flat, to be honest. Some polls say Lula could manage a first-round win, even if by a whisker, and that he's the heavy favorite for a head-to-head contest against Bolsonaro. Uh, I don't think so. Um, not really. Uh, I mean, it's impossible at this point. Um, and and I, I think this speaks to the frustration that I had during the debate. Um, the fact that we're talking about the two, one, the, the, the two candidates that are best evaluated, and those are not candidates that can go to the second round of the election, it frustrates me, right? I think that the, the model of the debate allowed uh, for candidates who don't have a shot and go into the second round uh, to speak more than the ones who do. Um, I, I, I really did not like the, the format of the debate. Um, I think it gave too much time to candidates who, who are just not electorally viable. And at the end, we, we saw too little of Lula and Bolsonaro, who are the two candidates that we know are the most likely to go to the second round. For those perhaps accustomed to debates in the U.S., the Brazilian version is quite different, right? Can you explain to our listeners how the Brazilian debates are set up and more or less their basic format? Uh, I mean, what we saw yesterday uh, or the day before, sorry, is uh, there were a set of rules that there were mixed formats within the same debate, right? So we have uh, in one blog, you have uh, candidates asking They, they choose who they want to ask the question to. Uh, in another blog, you had uh, journalists asking questions to the candidates, and you have variations of that. Um, so basically, you you leave it up for for chance uh, who is going to who is going to speak and who's going to ask the question uh, in reply. And at the end, The candidates are not going to also always ask the question to Lula, to Lula or Bolsonaro because it's unfair to the other ones who were there. So, but at the same time, you have more people who are not going to the second round than people who are going to the second round, and that tilted that it, it favored um, time for those who are not going to the second round. That is a, that is exactly the criticism that I have. Um, if you look at the polls not everybody is electorally viable. So I think that the, the structure of the debate should reflect that. Uh, because we want to, I mean, we want to hear from the candidates who, who are most likely to go to the second round. Those are the ones that we need to hear from so that we can evaluate them. And that did not happen on Sunday. And that kind of reminded me a lot of the French presidential election of 2017, when for the first time we had candidates debating before the first round played out. I mean, there were 11 presidential hopefuls, but only four were truly competitive. And there were two debates. The first only had the five best polling candidates, four of whom finished the first round separated by just five percentage points. And then there was the second debate with all 11 candidates. And of course, it was a mess and it drew a much lower audience. In Brazil, we have pretty much just two candidates gobbling up almost eight in every 10 voters. And then we have a lot of dwarf candidacies. 
Now, some candidates literally started their opening remarks by presenting themselves to voters. Mas eu gostaria de me apresentar. Eu sou Felipe. I mean, they were aware that nobody would know who they are. How useful for voters is it to have people polling at 1% or lower debating the heavyweight candidates? And I mean, I understand that from a democratic standpoint, there is an issue with giving an opportunity to everyone. But from a practical point of view, what's your opinion? Uh, I mean, from a democratic standpoint, as you said yourself, yes, um, we should hear from all candidates. And uh, this is uh, this is really so every time I say that there is no third way in this election, people a lot of people criticize me for saying that uh, because there are more candidates running. But we need to think in terms of what is electorally viable. And if, if for instance, CETA was pulling better, um, then I wouldn't be saying what I'm saying. But you have a, an election that is polarized and it's, it's concentrated on Lula and Bolsonaro. So at the same time that we want to be democratic, we should include these people who are candidate in the debate. But we also want to be like attuned to what's electorally viable. So I think that the way to solve this, to be democratic and be attuned to electorally viability, electoral viability is to um, to give different weights to who can speak, right? To not give equal time to everybody. Um, but I imagine that this is not going to happen um, in this election. We saw a lot of candidates veering to answer what they wanted regardless of the questions. And on many occasions, it seemed like a rehearsed attempt to deliver zingers that could be edited into those short clips for social media. And in the aftermath of the debate, groups from each side had cuts indicated very different debates took place. And I mean, of course, that happened in the past. Everyone used to have a different reading of a debate according to their preferences. But has social media fundamentally changed how debates are seen and their purpose for the campaign? I, I think we never had a history of uh, debates that discuss policy issues. Uh, I mean, it, it was really, it's not the strongest suit of Brazilian politics, right? When you think that, and I, I sound like a broken record, but most of our parties are not programmatic. They're not structured around policy issues. So it's really not surprising that if I ask you a question in a debate as a, as a presidential candidate about, I don't know, your proposals for public security, you're gonna, you're gonna sh shift to something that has nothing to do with that. And, and that's what I expected. Uh, Brazil never had a history of debates that, for instance, the, the US has that, had used to have that. Uh, to have that, uh, not anymore, uh, at least not right now. Uh, can candidates debating their policy proposals. That, that was never uh, a trend in Brazilian presidential debates. So I think it's, it's normal it, it, that candidates shift to saying whatever they want to say. But I do think that social media make that, made that worse. Um, because what they want is to have videos that they can post on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. And, and use that to galvanize their own bases. Uh, so they basically, uh, I think that, that this movement already existed, but social media made it work. Now, TV ratings weren't great, even if the debate was the most watched show on network television on Sunday. 
Does that mean that the Brazilian public has lost interest in the debates? I mean, how do you think they could be improved? How do you think they could compete with Netflix and Amazon Prime and all these streaming services? Um, you need to change the party system. <laughs> uh, but uh, then that's just something that's not going to happen anytime soon. But if you think only about the debates, um, I think we need to rethink the format. Like I really like, I really like the town hall format that we have here in the U.S. Uh, that's not really a debate, right? But it's it's kind of a debate where you have the two candidates uh, with the public. Um, I don't know how that would work right now in Brazil, given how how uh, the level of animosity um, coming from both the supporters of Lula and Bolsonaro. But that, that format may engage voters more because you have voters there talking to the candidates. Um, yeah, I think that's the first thing that comes to my mind. I really like the town hall format. Uh, I mean, you have, and you can do that with two candidates, right? Um, again, not viable with the amount of candidates that we have, we had on Sunday, uh, if we want to strictly uh, respect the, the options, the democratic options. But um, maybe uh, if we have a second round and there is a debate before the second round, that's something that I would I would do if I was uh, the head of a TV station. For the next debates, what changes in strategy should we expect? Do you think Lula and Bolsonaro will still be willing to attend debates? What do you think they have to gain or lose by facing their counterparts? According to their campaigns, they will. Uh, we never know. We never knew if Bolsonaro, we, we didn't know if Bolsonaro was going to come until the last minute, right, to this debate. Um, we know that Bolsonaro skipped an interview with Jobim Fung the day after the debate, uh, which just, it signals that he, he probably didn't score as well as he planned to. Uh, I, I think um, the Bolsonaro campaign is aware of how bad uh, the situation was for him with women. Um, and I, I think that the Lula campaign knows that he was not in his best performance. Although, again, I'm going to say this again, he's usually not good on debates. Um, so I would expect some change of strategy. And, and in respect with the, uh, to Lula, I would expect him to be more, uh, um, he, uh, to, to challenge Bolsonaro more, especially, I hope he does that uh, in, in relation to the campaign, to the corruption scandals. Um, We'll, we'll have to wait and see. Beatriz, thanks for talking to us. It's always a pleasure to get you on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Beatriz Hay is a political scientist and a columnist for the Brazilian Report. Once again, if you're keen on the Brazilian election, you should not miss our recently launched special 2022 election report. It has everything you need to know about the races for Congress, governorships, and of course, the presidency. And once again, listeners of our podcast get a special 20% discount. And if you like Explaining Brazil, please give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts and recommend our podcast to your friends and family. Or better yet, you could sign up for the Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We have a subscription-based business model and your subscriptions fuel our journalism. Just so you know the impact your subscriptions have, 
we have just been shortlisted for two entries in the Online Journalism Awards, which are decided by ONA, the Online News Association. These entries are general excellence in online journalism for a micro newsroom and excellence in newsletters. And that is thanks to our subscribers and of course, our journalists. In order for us to keep doing that work, we need your subscription. Go to brazilian.report slash subscribe. I'm Gustavo Ribeiro. Thanks for listening and Explaining Brazil will be back next week.